0: Good morning, Luminate. It's always so good to be with you all. A special welcome to those of you who are with us for the first time. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you yet, I would love to have the opportunity to do that. As always, I'm just kind of hanging out right down here uh, after the service and would love to get to know you personally. Uh, so, today is uh, a special day for us because, uh, as uh, uh, many of you know, there's always something going on, so many things happening here in the life of the church uh, not the least of which two weeks from today uh, we're going to be celebrating baptisms and what we like to say is if you're a christian and you haven't been baptized you have some unfinished business with god baptism is all about identifying yourself with the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ so for more information about that you can stop by the lobby and then as you came in somewhere on the seats there in front of you there should be a little card that looks like this I gave a little bit of a nod to this at the end of the year last year, but it's ready to roll. We are going to start as one of the new ministries that we've got planned for 2022, a ministry to men. So guys, you know, it's no secret that we tend not to be great at forging meaningful relationships with one another. And the reality is that you and I won't thrive. Certainly we won't thrive spiritually unless we have a band of brothers to go through life with. And so, among other things, that's one of the purposes of us starting a ministry to men. We want to get some of your feedback, so if you would, take this card, fill it out, and then give it to one of the guys at the table that's uh, representing our ministry to men. We've also got two informational meetings uh, that we want to invite you to, uh, to attend one of them. The first is on Thursday, January 27th at 6.30 p.m. That'll be here. And then the second one is the next day, Friday the 28th at 6.30 a.m. We just kind of want to lay the groundwork uh, for you and and then at the same time also get some feedback. feedback from you as we continue uh, to build the ministry. So we're at a pretty unique place in terms of our study, working our way through the book of Genesis. Last week, we left off on creation day six, where God does something really spectacular. He creates the, the animals, but then, but then he, he does something that is... Uh, it's, It's the most unique aspect of all that he creates, which is really saying something because we talk about how God creates something as vast as the universe and yet as small as the atom, and there's tremendous beauty and diversity. and, And then there's this crescendo moment that occurs when God decides to create a creature using himself as the pattern. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, we read this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So the first thing we notice is that the name for God here is Elohim. That's a Hebrew word. It's actually in a plural form second thing that we notice is that the pronouns actually relate to that because they're plural pronouns ascribed to God. Let us make man in our image, which is kind of interesting because the ancient Hebrews were set apart from all other people groups because they fiercely believed that there was only one God. The great Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4, behold Israel, the Lord your God is One in the midst of a polytheistic world. I mean, it was believed essentially that there was a god behind every rock, and the Hebrews said, "No, there is only one true Creator God." And so, how do we justify that when we read this kind of language applied to God in, in very beginning chapter? of God's introduction of himself. Let us create man in our image, in our likeness. So this is what Christians refer to as the Trinity. Now, if you read the Bible, you won't find the word Trinity anywhere in the Bible, but you find the concept throughout. Theologians refer to it as the Godhead, the three in one, co-eternal, co-existent persons that make up the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you see all three involved in the very beginning, God the Father speaks things into existence. We read about the spirit of God, God hovering over the waters. And then in John chapter one, verse one, John was probably Jesus' best friend. He writes a biography about the life of Jesus and he begins by taking you back to Genesis chapter one, using the same language, in the beginning. So the reader, especially in the mind of a Jewish reader, they go, oh, this is Genesis chapter one language. Exactly, that's what I'm taking. Back to the very beginning before human creation, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. Well, who were you talking about? Drop down to verse 14 of chapter 1, John chapter 1, he says, and the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and he had the glory of God. That's why Christians refer to the Godhead as the Trinity. And so now it actually makes sense when we read these plural pronouns ascribed to God, we're referring to 3 and 1 the god head but what does it mean what does it mean that man is created in the image of god well it means a few things i think that are really important number 1 it means that man is distinct from the animals in that we have the distinction in our morality Our ability to think, reason, our intellect, certainly our spiritual capacities. It also means that we're distinct from the angels. Nowhere in the Bible are angels described as being created in God's image. They're awesome creatures. But in fact, in the New Testament, we read that angels observe the relationship God has with man, and they scratch their heads. They're looking at it And they wonder, what exactly is God doing with these creatures created in his image? They're curious. So to be created in the image of God means that we have a relationship with God that that is distinct from what the animals have or could have and and even angels. Uh, it, It also means that the incarnation, which is just a big word that simply means God would take on human flesh. It also means that the incarnation is actually possible. Because while it communicates that man is in God's image, we're not exactly like deity, but God is our pattern. And so even though we're not deity, it it makes us uh, compatible in the sense that deity and humanity can in some way come together. And Jesus is the ultimate expression of this. But I think above perhaps all else, The incarnation tells us something really significant for our own time. And isn't this what in part MLK was was all about? All human life, all human life has intrinsic value for no other reason other than humans alone are created in, in the image of God, all human life. So last week I mentioned that in some European countries, you won't find many individuals that are special needs because when it's discovered in utero, that might be the case, the babies are terminated. If you go to Iceland, you'd be hard pressed to find one individual with Down syndrome because of the high rate of termination. So once again, this is one of the many things that sets the Christian worldview apart. No faith system has a higher view of humanity than Christianity because all individuals, even those with special needs, they reflect the image of God in their own special way. Therefore, all humans have intrinsic respect, value, and dignity for that reason alone as image bearers. Uh, Now in the next verse, verse 27, the concept of man being created in the image of God, it's so important that it actually gets stated again. And what follows is a very interesting and unique pairing created by God. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in case you missed it the first time. And then for this unique pairing, In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. So both male and female are created in the image of God. Co-equal, both having the same value. Uh, Now today, some believe that there is no real or significant or even meaningful difference between men and women. And quite frankly, if you subscribe to evolution, this does make sense um, that things would be accidental. But the Bible tells us that we are not here by accident. The Bible tells us that whenever God creates, he creates with intentionality, meaning, and and purpose. So then the differences between men and women are good, they're meaningful, and they're purposeful. And we see these differences being so very complementary in their very design. Um, in Genesis chapter two, verses 18 and 20, we get the full story. Eve is described as a fit helper. The Hebrew words here are really fascinating and very, very enlightening. That's the Hebrew pron- pronunciation of, of, of the words fit or suitable helper and I'll explain more about the meaning of those words in a second but let's read the account Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 then the Lord God said it is not good that the man should be alone so he decides to do something about it I will make a helper fit for him now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called every living creature that was its name So the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But there's a problem. For Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So this is is a turning point in God's creation story because when God speaks things into existence on the previous days, afterward, he declares them good. Create declares it good. Create declares it good. Now we come to the first not good of creation. God creates and He says, something that's not good. Adam is alone. So we need to create an Ezer connecto. We need to create a creature that is a helper fit for Him. Now here's where the language gets really interesting. This word, Ezer, Translated into English as helper, is actually the word that describes God over and over again as the one who helps humanity. It's the word that's most often applied to God. Secondly, this word konegdo is interesting because it describes two things that are very similar, but at the same time, they're very different. So, as the animals are paraded in in front of Adam, he's giving them names, but he's also dissatisfied because after they all appear, it's just not the right fit. So let's see what God does next, verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then it's really cool because from verse 23, Adam's response to this helper fit for him, he breaks into poetry when he sees the woman. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's an interesting detail. That changes soon. We'll get to that later. So Eva's is though. She's like Adam in that she shares his humanity, but she's also noticeably different. And the first notif- noticeable difference for Adam is, is that physically she's different than he is. Uh, and yet, even in this difference, there is a complement. Physically, the two fit together. In fact, they are so complementary, the two become one flesh. And when male and female come together, they're actually capable of producing a- another human. And, and so, this complementary nature is fundamental to God's creation order. Uh, I like what N.T. Wright says. He says, from a Christian perspective, marriage is never just a union between two consenting adults. It is a signpost pointing to that great complementarity of God's whole creation, of heaven and earth belonging Together, biologically male and female together in God's creation order. Now, at this point, it's, uh, I need to mention that some of my progressive Christian friends will argue that sex and gender just aren't that important. Um, they're not essential to the doctrines uh, of, of the gospel. And so, therefore, they are secondary issues and not as worthy of being talked about Uh, more like the return of jesus we agree that jesus is going to return but we just don't know when and so it's a secondary issue the timing of jesus return and so my progressive christian friends believe that gender and sex are just secondary issues and What I would say is that I very, very respectfully disagree. And the reason why is because of what I read in Genesis chapters one and two. From the very beginning of God's design, you see something that is unique. It is this unique uh, pairing of creational binaries. There's a unique pairing of creational binaries. Um, For example, one of God's first acts is to separate light and darkness, creational binary. And then we see God creating the heavens and the earth, another creational binary. And then you see God creating the sea and the land, another creational. It's just one creational binary after that. And then the crescendo binary is that he creates the male and female. And what's interesting about these binaries is that you can't really understand one without the other. Both are necessary. If you lived in darkness your whole life, it's going to be hard for you to fully understand light. If you live on the sea your entire life, you've never experienced land, you're gonna have a hard time understanding, fully understanding what land is. And so God creates these creational binaries in an effort to help us understand the other. And that's why they are so fundamental. Um, The greatest expression of these binaries coming together in understanding and complementing each other is when the two sexes come together in marriage. That's why in verse 24, right after the woman is creative, what you have is an explanation of husband and wife. Again, what N.T. Wright says is helpful. The idea that these two being designed to go together is a very profound reality and it is at the heart of that whole story of God's good creation. Therefore, the coming together of male plus female is itself a signpost pointing to that great complementarity of God's whole creation, of heaven and earth belonging together. Preston Sprinkle is the director for the Center of Faith, Gender, and Sexuality. And I think he's helpful when he adds this quote, sex difference in marriage then is a significant part of the creation story. And the story of creation is foundational to the story of God's redemption of mankind as a whole. This is why marriage, the union of two sexually different people shows up in key places throughout the entire story of God's redemption. And it occupies a significant role in the union between heaven and earth We see it even in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. If you say that sex difference is not part of marriage, that marriage intrinsically is not the union between two sexually different persons, but presumably the union between two consenting adults, regardless of sex, then you have yanked out a key aspect of the story as a whole. And he's exactly right. So this is why whenever same-sex sexual relationships are mentioned in the Bible, they are never affirmed. They're never affirmed. They are always prohibited. In fact, you won't find one verse that is even neutral on the subject. No, I'm aware that some make the argument what the Bible describes as same-sex relationships are different than the same-sex relationships that we see today, because back in the day they weren't consensual, whereas today they are consensual. And because today they are consensual, it falls into a different category. Personally, I find this totally unconvincing. Again, with all respect, um, you have to do a lot of hermeneutical gymnastics in order to get to that Point. And like I say, the fact that there isn't just even one verse that is neutral on the subject, I think, is uh, telling. Now, of course, today there is a lot of discussion about what gender even means. Um, and I think some of that comes as a result of our society trying to make one sex feel inferior or superior to the other. But as Christians, we shouldn't be even engaging in that conversation. Uh, women are superior at being women. Men are superior at being men. Women are superior at being women. And, and I'll just give you a, a simple line of logic and evidence in that women give birth much better than men do. I don't mean, I don't mean, I don't mean that to be a joke. I don't, I don't mean that to be a joke. It's a simple line of evidence and reason. So, w- w- but what's happened in our society is that because our society gives these feelings of inferiority or superiority as Christians, we shouldn't even be engaging in this conversation because what happens is when a woman tries to be a man or a man tries to be a, a woman, what you have is something that will always be inferior. And here's why because it's inferior in terms of its complementary nature as God designed and intended. Now, having shared these things, I want to acknowledge something. And that is, the the reality is, the challenge with this format of communication. Look, I'm, this is very one-sided conversation. I'm the one with the microphone. And that can give the impression that there's a lack of understanding um, or that there is a bias that's, that's present. Um, and that can come across as being un- ungracious. And, and that's the last thing that I want. I have been praying all week that the Spirit of God would smooth over whatever bumpiness there might be to my human words. That has been my prayer. Um, but what I've done in an effort to combat this is that I have personally reached out to my friends who are Christians that are same-sex attracted and celibate out of obedience to Jesus Christ and I've shared with them what I've shared with you and I have said I need your help. Some of these same people are part of the Illuminate family and what I have asked them is this, Help me. What is it that you want your church family to understand? How can I be your voice in this moment? And I'm incredibly proud of them. And what I've done is I have received their input and I basically summarize it into four main points. And this is what they wish the church at large would know. Number one, the church has not always treated people in the LGBTQ plus community with decency at times, even turning a blind eye to the violence committed against them. So when I heard this being said, what it tells me is that the church has some work to do when it comes to really believing that all humans are created in the image of God and therefore worthy of the utmost respect, honor and dignity. The great unifier of all humanity is that we are all sinners separated from God and in need of God's grace and mercy. Number two, we want our church family to know that the struggle is real. And we need you, our church family, to pray for us. Pray also for the entire LGBTQ plus community. They are lost and it is a particularly dark world. One gentleman said that the unspoken reality within the gay community in general, not always, but by and large within the gay men's community, the attraction or the relational glue for that community involves sex, drugs, and alcohol in general, not always. And this is why the gay bar is an alternative to a church community. For women in the gay community, there is a different attraction. It is primarily affection and activism. Either way, it is a false sense of family. And it made me think of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 29. He says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or mother, Or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life so in other words when same-sex attracted people make the decision to follow Jesus they're exchanging a counterfeit church for what they hope and would rightfully expect to be a real church a church that gives them life and gives them hope and help and The difference is the great attraction or relational glue within the family of God is that we have an unconditional love for one another. And this is the thing that very often gets lost within the church community. And when our brothers and sisters are saying, listen, I need you illuminate to be my family, it is not wrong for them to expect that what they have given up Will be replaced a hundredfold by the church. Thirdly, show us the real Jesus, the Jesus who was a man and who also cried. And what I think is being said here is very, very important. I think as Christians, we have to be aware of the cultural expectations of gender. So, very often, and especially so within the Christian community, there can be this idea that masculinity is best defined as loving what is violent, right? Sort of that idea that to be masculine is to run around beating your chest and dragging your woman by your hair. And, and then, you know, and, and then you never cry and you do it alone and you have to love sports, right? <laughs> if you don't love sports, then... And here's the thing, I think that this is actually destructive and doesn't represent the masculinity that we find in Jesus, who was the perfect embodiment, embodiment of maleness. You know, as we begin our ministry to men, uh, it's important for us to understand that Jesus was the ultimate expression of masculinity. In every single way and we see him crying over the death of someone that he loved we see him showing tremendous kindness mercy compassion and grace to the very people that were torturing him number four and I so appreciate this don't compromise the truth of God's Word and don't give in to the cultural winds because the truth sets everyone free I mean how beautiful is that So illuminate. Here's what we want as a church: we want people to be able to say, "I'm here. I, I'm here. This is my church family, and I have questions about how I feel, and I have questions about the ways in which I'm thinking, and." I wanna be able to share in a very safe environment some of the things that I have experienced. There is a tremendous amount of abuse that happens in childhood that very often begins to unwind as people approach adulthood. And they're saying, I want to be in a community where I feel like it's safe for me to have these conversations. And these conversations can be super awkward. Uh, and really, really uncomfortable and difficult at first. But let me tell you, they're absolutely necessary. It's estimated that 60% of Gen Z has serious questions about their sexual orientation and their gender. And for the church to remain silent is to make people think that the Bible is silent on these issues and it is absolutely clear in the most straightforward, gracious, and loving way. That's why any conversation that is to be had must also bear the same attributes. Uh, there is an entire generation hungering for an authentic conversation with people who care. Consider this as well from Preston Sprinkle. 83% of LGBT people were raised in the church. 51% left the church after they turned 18 years old, but not for the reasons you think. The reasons are not theological. It's not that they're coming and saying, oh, I just totally disagree with what the Bible says. Their reasons are not theological. Their reasons are relational. Only 3% of LGBT people who left the church said they left because of the church's teaching on marriage and sexuality. They are theological issues. They're not theological issues, they're relational issues. Feelings of being dehumanized, isolated, shunned, or simply kicked out whenever it was discovered that they experienced same-sex attraction. Over the last year, I've gotten to know a really interesting individual. His name is Caleb Koltenbaum, and he was raised by two moms. His parents divorced biological mom and dad when he was two. His mom immediately entered a lesbian relationship. His dad entered into a gay relationship 16 years later. Being raised in a home with two moms, they were activists. He was taught essentially to hate Christians, that Christians were the enemy. He was invited to a Bible study in high school. He went with the intention to expose Christians as frauds and haters. He ends up realizing these people are all right. In fact, I think I kind of like them. He gets saved. He becomes a pastor. His parents end up attending his church. They get saved. The title of his book is called Messy Grace. It's a beautiful title because that's really what it is, isn't it? There's a lot of messiness in these conversations. They're not easy. They're difficult. They're often strained. But you see messy grace show up in the life of Jesus over and over again, right? Jesus is essentially at this party. He's with all the right people, and in walks this prostitute, and she does something ridiculously over the top with a, 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 a just exorbitant value placed on Jesus through her action. And everybody looks at her and is like, <coughs> excuse me. who let this one through the door out and jesus says stop what she's doing is more beautiful than what you're doing jesus with the woman at the well seemingly nobody wants to be with her and jesus begins a relationship with her giving her honor dignity and worth and opens up the door to conversation messy grace helps us understand Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself. There doesn't appear to be an exception clause for those in the LGBTQ plus community or for those that we don't relate to in some other way. Jesus was able to love these people fiercely and yet hold on to his beliefs. You can have your conviction without compromise. And I would go so far as to say that if you do compromise, you are actually sacrificing what they need most and that is love. So we all have our pet sins. Um, I have predispositions and dispositions toward specific sins that you probably don't have. You have some that I don't have. But the wonder of being a, a Christian is that the cross is the great unifier because it reminds us that every single one of us has done something to put Jesus there. And the moment you forget that is the moment you don't understand the heart of Jesus. So when I receive an email, I'll share with you briefly, not long ago, I received an email from a gentleman. He's been in a same-sex relationship for several decades. He's in his mid-50s, he's living in Hollywood, moving to the valley. He said, I'm same-sex attracted, I'm bankrupt in every way. And I'm returning to the faith of my my youth, Christianity. He said, I've been celibate for the last two years, am I I welcome at your church? I said, not only are you welcome, but I wanna get to know you and befriend you and you're gonna find others in the Illuminate family that understand you. It's interesting, and in a way it's sad that that email would have to even be written. Would I be welcome? We must always remember that on the other end of the email, at the family table, at work, that is an individual creating an image of God and therefore worthy of the utmost respect, honor, and dignity. And if they, like you, have any hope of being redeemed, it will be because you demonstrate the love for your neighbor that Jesus demonstrated for you. So Father, we need a lot of prayer. Father, once again, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would smooth over whatever bumpiness may have been in my words, and that more than anything, your heart would be communicated. Father, where sin needs to be confessed, Lord, may we all confess it. And may you be taking each of us out of our comfort zones in our own way but that we would really see ourselves as distorted and twisted in some way, but made whole at the foot of the cross. And it's only and always because of what Jesus has done. As always for his glory, his fame, his renown, God, you use it all, you redeem it all. And the stories, the stories are a reflection of your grace and mercy in our lives. We ask that your spirit would speak to every heart in the room in its own unique way. Minister as only the supreme God can. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ and God's people said, amen. Amen.